It's July 28th, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Thanks for downloading and listening to the show. Your support of my work here is always appreciated. Um, before I begin, as some of you know, I teach several online photography courses through BetterPhoto.com, and I recently added a new class about photographing people called Getting Past Your Fear and Photographing People. If you're a regular visitor to my blog, you know I do a good amount of street photography and approach a lot of strangers about taking the photograph. Uh, This class really shares how I got past my own fears about photographing people and the techniques I use to make portraits often of strangers. If it's something you're interested in or possibly in any of my other classes, please visit betterphoto.com. Today's guest is Emilio Banuelos, who is a freelance documentary photographer based out of San Francisco. A graduate of the University of Missouri School of Journalism, Emilio has produced several interesting bodies of work, several based on his own life growing up in San Jose, California. The project that really piqued my interest was his Greyhound series, in which he documented traveling on Greyhound buses throughout the Midwest and the West. It's it's a fascinating collection of images that reveal an engaging and interesting side of a very American experience. I really enjoyed talking to him about this project and several others, which are just as intriguing. And I think you'll find the next 30 or so minutes a really good use of your time. So thanks again, and here's our conversation with Emilio Banuelos. All right, well, Emilio, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. Uh, Since I saw your work recently, I was really eager to have you uh, have a chance to talk to you about your work. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's t- talk about where you started. I see from um, from your bio that you studied at the University of Missouri at the School of Journalism. But before y- you arrived there, had you already decided that you wanted to be become a photographer? How did that How did that begin for you? Uh, well, I started in high school. I uh, I found a camera around the house and I started photographing uh, the people in the neighborhood. Uh, if you see my website, there's a um, there's a body of work about a small gang out in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And um, those were a lot of my peers. When they started doing that, I started making photographs of them. And uh, I just kind of did it, and I'd <clears throat> come home and process the film in my kitchen, pantry, darkroom. And I uh, started printing it and started uh, seeing what was happening and noticing that a lot of the work that was out there about gangs was all violent and drugs and fighting and I was focused more on their other life how they act with their parents and how they act with their family and what they do when they're sitting around the neighborhood Um, and that project pretty much started my uh, photography career Uh, I went to school for a little bit uh, here at some junior colleges and I met some people who would help me edit and just kind of give me some direction. Um, I started working with a photographer named Eugene Louie, who works for the San Jose Mercury News. Mm-hmm. And one day I was sitting around the house, and I was watching Primetime Live, and I saw I saw him on TV at the Missouri Photo Workshop. 
I called him the next day, asked him about Missouri Photo Workshop. He told me Missouri is a place to be. So I went home that afternoon, packed up my apartment, gave my 30-day notice, and uh, started my six-month project to fundraise to move out to Missouri. And I did. <laughs> so I went out to school in Missouri. I just drove out and uh, found an apartment. I had to do some junior college first. Uh, I did that, got that out of the way, two years. And then I started uh, started the School of Journalism. So you had moved out even before you got accepted into the program, huh? Yeah, it seems to be the way I do things. <laughs> I just kind of start and I uh, figure out as I go. And if I wait for everything to line up, uh, well, that'll take a long time. So I just start things. and. That's what I did with school. I, I went out. Uh, I, I talked to David Reese, who is the who was the uh, director of the program at the time. Or, and I talked to him on one Saturday. The next Saturday, I was at his office, and I said, "Hi, I talked to you last week about going to school here." He said, "Well, you came out to visit." I said, "No, I, I came out here to live." So he said, "Are you starting in August?" I said, "No, I have to uh, do a couple years of junior college first. And so I, like I said, I just started going to school and. I would check in with him, and he would invite me to his classes every once in a while, and I'd see how he was teaching. And and then two years to the day that I moved back, that I moved out to Missouri, I was in school at uh, at University of Missouri. Wow. Um, tell me about the, the the project you started in uh, when you were back home, because that's that the project of, of documenting the the guys in your neighborhood, particularly the ones that are in gangs, is usually something that people don't consider doing until they are in are in school. Um, what sort of, the, the, the fact that you were able to sort of document the, the, the guys in your own neighborhood and sort of begin a documentary career, even before you probably had a concept of exactly what it involved, what, what did you, what did you feel that provided you when you started going to, to Missouri that other, a lot of the other students didn't have? Um, well, I was a little older also when I went to Missouri than most of the students that I was in school with, uh. I didn't get into the school till I was 24 or 25, and I had already spent a few years hanging out with these these people in the neighborhood. Um, I think it just kind of let me look at something a little quieter. It, I wasn't so focused on uh, all these peak moments and uh, the, the peak action. I was kind of looking at what came right before and what happens right after. So let me slow down just a little tiny bit. and. Uh, I was also able to see these people as people instead of gang members, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of stuck with me throughout my career. I've I've make most of my work, and I deal with the person who I'm talking to uh, on a very small level, how that person feels that day and what they're doing with their life right now. Um, and I think that, that that was helped by the fact that I was I was photographing people in my neighborhood, sitting around, and that I knew them as as people before I knew them as as well as a category you know mm-hmm. and and that's probably carried over to all the work that you've you've done you've done since then um um the, the work that really uh, brought uh brought you to my attention was the the greyhound series um why don't you briefly describe what that greyhound series was and how that whole idea came about Oh, okay. Well, um, in 1999, I was a fellow over at the Pointer Institute. I, was, I did a six-week fellowship for a visual artist or visual journalist. Um, 
and I was there at the workshop. The uh, fellowship finished, and it was done, and I was going to stay around for a little bit longer. So I didn't buy my plane ticket. Um, but then I woke up one day and decided, oh, you know, I need to go home now. So uh, I packed up my belongings, and I started to find out how I was going to get home. <laughs> uh, it turned out that I had to take the Greyhound. That was what I had left in my finances, and I thought, well, it's okay. It's not too bad. It's about a day and a half to, to get from St. Petersburg out to Columbia, Missouri. And I carry my camera with me every day. So I got on the bus, and uh, I just started making photographs and meeting all these people. And I started noticing little things about the Greyhound, about the fact that it's, it's that all these people would never be in the same room together. They would never talk. Uh, they're all from different parts of the world or different parts of life anyway. But on this bus, they had to be on the bus sitting next to someone for two days. And uh, it allowed them this time to think about what was going to happen when they got to their new destination. It allowed them time to think about what they left behind. And... Um, and people would just start talking to their neighbor and telling them about their life. And so you meet all these people uh, on, a real, real, on a real level, on a very personal level, but very temporary. I made, the, I made some photographs, and I made the photograph of the, um, the old, old gentleman with a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And um, I came back to Missouri, processed my film. I saw his face on there, and I thought, wow, I, I have to go back and meet him or meet meet them and so um, I was a student at Missouri and I have assignments out in other places or I'd, I'd get jobs in different cities and I would budget my time so that I can take the Greyhound so I started riding the Greyhound everywhere and every trip I can I can take was on the bus and I rode it from um, Missouri to New York, from Missouri to Miami, from Missouri to Chicago, from Missouri to California, California to New York, and just every trip for the last few years has been on, on the Greyhound, and I just take my camera on there, and uh, I meet people. I talk to them for a little while, I hear their stories, and I make photographs of them as we, we uh, were on the bus. Um, and then I started, as I got deeper and deeper into it, started realizing that it's about this transition point in people's life where they're leaving an old life going into a new one and uh it's fascinating to me how how because we're we're stuck in the same place we have to share we have to sit and we have to talk mm -hmm. so yeah. i keep doing it <laughs> in terms of the you make a good point about the fact that you would listen to them first and, and allow them to sort of tell their stories before you would bring up the the uh the, the possibility of them being photographed um, creating that sort of dialogue and making that connection probably was really important in terms of being able to produce these images, don't you think? Um, you know what helped a lot is the fact that I was on the bus to get somewhere myself. I never, I've never gotten on the bus to make photographs. Um, there are always trips I have to take, and uh, and I ride the bus to get there. So I'm I'm a passenger just like they are. And um, a lot of times, sometimes I talk to them before I make photographs, uh, but I always have my camera on me, so they see me on the bus with my camera making photographs of things, and they just kind of accept it. And sometimes I make photographs of them before, and then I'll talk to them afterwards, or, um, you know, or, or we sit and talk for a while, and then I ask them, can I take your photograph? And they say, sure. And, uh, but it's, it's mostly this, this organic process where I'm on the bus with my camera, so they just kind of accept the fact that I'm a photographer. Mm -hmm. oh. 
There probably is a lot of like waiting that I see in some of the images. Ah, um, oh, tons of waiting. <laughs> so that that must, like you said, about those sort of quiet moments. That it, it's not necessarily a, 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 an essay that really provides for those peak action moments that you described earlier. It really is about you know those quiet contem- contemplative moments, but they end up pr- producing some really fascinating images. Speak more ab- about about that whole sensibility, um, particularly when it comes to, to documentary work. Well, I was in school for, for uh, journalism. It's a newspaper uh, and documentary. They have a strong documentary emphasis over at Missouri, but um, the work that I, I liked when I was growing up is, has always been some of the more quieter stuff. You know, uh, And so... Um, I don't know. I think I think there are a lot of people out there who are doing these peak moments and these 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 peak actions. And and I started to realize that because of the way I I move and because of the way uh, the, the the gear that I carry and because of uh, what's going on in my head, <laughs> um, I'm really interested in these other moments where we're in between in between actions and just this idea of of a person being conscious of themselves. Uh, or thinking about their life um, allows me to make photographs that I think make people ask, oh, I wonder what they're thinking, or where where are they going, or just ask a little bit more questions because I'm not telling you the answer. And so that's kind of what I focused on, and it seems to be what I focus on for all my work. Mm -hmm. Well, the the work has been recognized. uh, I found it through um, uh, Infoco. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that it's been recognized elsewhere. What's been the response to the work? What What are people's reactions to um, the project as a whole, but but the individual images as well? Um, you know, it's been pretty positive. This uh, I just started uh, putting out this work this last year, and it's been a good year. Um, well, a lot of people have their own personal stories about the Greyhound, and they get on the Greyhound, so they have... A, a small connection to at least the feeling of being on a bus for three days or just the the idea of sitting somewhere and having to sit in one space for that long and how tiring it is and all these uh, different emotions that they bring to it. But then they see these people and they think, oh, you know, I've never really actually talked to anybody on this bus. I just kind of sat next to them. So it allows them, I think, an extended... Uh, period for them to, to look and examine at these people who, who they've either been on the bus with or that they've seen on the streets but never had the, the uh, I don't know, they've never actually made the time to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to introduce people. I'm trying to let you see somebody else's life. And hopefully when you see someone else like that again, it's something familiar and it's not strange and it's not weird. Yeah. You know this whole this whole sensibility I think carries over into some of the other work that you have on on, on your site, um, like the uh, Independence Day shoot and also the safest big city in America. Mm. Um, it's interesting that the moments that you choose to photograph are kind of moments that I think most people would not consider um, wouldn't consider its potential for an image. Mm. Um, there's this one picture that you have um, uh, in Safest Big City in America where these women are at a, a table, and I guess they're looking at a bunch of photographs, and there's like a Hope Wanted sign. 
oh, right, um, right. behind them. And I think it's a moment that most people would just sort of pass up. But uh, there's something about what the sort of women are doing and just the gesture of the woman on the far right with her arm crossing the, the woman mm-hmm. in the middle and then this one woman handing something through a, a small window. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me wonder what's what's going on here and, and who these women are. Can you tell me a little more about, about that image? Sure. San Jose, uh, San Jose, California has a fairgrounds. Uh, a county fair comes to town once a year. And... Um, it's kind of like uh, the Disneyland of the East Side, almost. Uh, a lot of the the, the gang, the young gang members, go out there and they and they look great. You know, they're all dressed up and they're looking for girls, and the girls are looking for guys. And it's this big meeting ground for these people. Um, the woman in the middle has her makeup. If you look at her makeup, she's got the, the strong eyebrows painted and the strong eyeshadow. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, San Jose East Side beauty. It's an old uh, the old gang members, the old uh, cholos, used to wear this kind of makeup, and she is what you'd call like a, an old timer or, or a veterana. You know, she's like a veteran of this of this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the photographs that they have, it's all people from the east side of San Jose. Um, they come to the fairgrounds, they get their portraits made, their family portraits. Sometimes it's their only family portraits for the year. And they come back in an hour and have these 11 by 14s made, and they take them home. And it's, uh, uh, they remember the fair, they remember this time, but they also have this, this family portrait of them. Um, and I was walking around the fairgrounds, and I saw these people. And, and to the right of me, there's, there's a lot of people in line waiting for their photographs to be made. And um, I don't know, there's something about her makeup that I really liked. And and her and so i just i stay there for a little while and i I make photographs um and this is just one of these things that i photograph like i said i have my camera every day so i just walk around and i make these photographs and later i i put them into a narrative and that makes sense um and this is one of those photographs that i I make without thinking about where it's going to go or or what's going to happen with it i just make it because i see it and later on it finds its way into my work you know, and I think what you really kind of speak to is is having a real understanding of the people and the community that you're photographing. I think mm-hmm. a lot of photojournalism, or a lot of people think of photojournalism in terms of an outsider coming in and somehow trying to tell the story of a, of a people or a community. And mm-hmm. I think you really speak to the importance of, of really, if not being you know, a part of the community, having an understanding and a sort of respect um, mm-hmm. for the people in it without sort of judgment or bias going going in about who they are already and, and allowing the discovery and the, consequ- and the consequent uh, uh, images as a result really kind of speak for themselves. Hmm. I, I think that whatever I know about the people that I'm photographing is just a starting point. Uh, it allows me to get in there, and at least if I, if I know that at least I'm interested, uh, that allows me... Mm, the privilege of being in their space and the respect that I need to have with them. Uh, and it's a departing point of what I'm going to learn from them as I sit with them. So I, I never, I, I, you know, when I was 21, I knew everything. And now that I'm 34, I don't know anything. <laughs> and I kind of keep that mentality as I, as I meet people. I don't know anything about you, but I'd like to learn. And I sit with these people, make photographs. Sometimes it's a half hour, 45 minutes, two hours conversation, and it's one photograph that I make. Sometimes I don't make a photograph, but I, I like talking to these people and, and letting them talk to me. Um, you know, and some people need someone to listen to them, mm-hmm. and 
I love listening. <laughs> so I, I do it, and, that, and I'm hoping that I do that with my photographs, where I'm just kind of letting them present themselves or, or presenting them to other people. Yeah. How do you how do you sort of gel that with the 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 role of uh, as a photojournalist? Because oftentimes you don't have the, the 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 time to be able to spend much time with a with a subject, especially for for spot news or even if you're doing a a portrait for a, a magazine. Your time is is very limited. Um, so the challenge of being able to produce a a, a a good photograph for publication in a very short within a short very window of opportunity becomes all the more difficult. Um, do you find that your that the sensibility that you've developed for your documentary work has helped you under those kind of circumstances? I think so. Um, I, I don't think it's the amount of time that you spend with someone. I think it's more how you spend this time with them. Uh, and as as an observer or as a, 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 a guest in their space, I I spend my time with them, listening to them. It's it's their home. It's they're gonna let me in as much as they want me to. I don't ask any questions that I don't want to, that I won't answer myself. Uh, and I also try to shut up as much as, as much as possible and just be quiet and let them fill in this silence with whatever they want to let me know. And it happens really quickly. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. That I come in, I talk to them, I say hi, and I just kind of be quiet for a little while. And they go on with their daily tasks or... I ask them a question here and there, and they they give me that time. They give me that space. And once I'm in it, I, I think, well, they've given me permission to be in their space now. It's, it's my responsibility to make a photograph that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, you're following in the steps of a lot of, of, of a lot of documentary photographers, but it comes at a time where... where um, Document, documentary photography is having has less and less of a presence in in published magazines, mm-hmm. um, but there's become an increasing um, venue for it in an audience as a result of of the web, either through you know websites or um, web blogs or multimedia presentations that exist on the web. Tell me about how that has worked as far as you having the opportunity to, to share your work uh, with a larger audience. Mm. Well. Uh, when I was working for newspapers, when I did some newspaper work, I, I, I always found it a little frustrating that you make a photograph and it's there for a day and, and it's gone. And that, uh, you know, a lot of people read newspapers, but a lot of people don't. And the people that I'm photographing don't. So I'm trying now with, we have a website now, it's called Black Boots Inc. And the idea with this website is to get this photograph into different audiences. So our mailing list doesn't include, I mean, it, it does include a lot of uh, people in the industry, but it's, there's a lot of professors on there. There's, there's accountants. There's just people from daily life. And um, we're trying to get this work now. Well, my idea is that everybody recognizes a photograph. You walk into any home, there's going to be photographs on the wall. They have a photo album. And so they, they can read photographs. They appreciate photographs. But a lot of times I think photographers separate themselves from from other photographers, um, and they become artists or they become journalists. And in my brain, it's it's very basic. We make photographs. Everybody can read them, so we should bring them to everybody. <laughs> so we have this website now, and we're getting it out to different audiences. Uh, we also do some projects in the in the city, and we work with schools. And I'm trying to work with a lot of, of the younger people, the, the high school students. And I did some work with elementary school students for a while. Um, and just kind of introduce them to this world of, of images, 
without the intellectual or the artistic or the journalistic approach to it. On a really basic level, they're photographs, and everybody understands them. So that's kind of been our, our goal for the last two or three years now, trying to get it into these different audiences. The web's allowed us to do it a bit, but uh, right now we're working on some public art projects where we bring this out into the street. That's great. Um, I'm I'm working with some with them junior high and high school kids, teaching them photography, and it's it's amazing that you know we're we're dealing with a generation that is very not only very aware of of the photographic images, largely because they're bombarded with it constantly, mm-hmm. but, but with digital you know digital cameras and particularly with cell phones, mm-hmm. they they are probably a generation of of of, of people who are probably more versed in, in taking pictures than probably any generation previously, just because of the ease by which you can make a picture nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's sort of the sensibility or, or that you've seen come from them as you've been teaching them this whole sort of greater concept of storytelling through imagery? Well, um, I, yeah, they, they are so much more... Uh, it's just so much easier for them to make images and make good images because they are... They are looking at images all the time, and they're on MySpace, and they're on you know TV all the time, and they have these camera phones, and and everything is photographed. Uh, as far as their storytelling abilities, I find that's been my biggest challenge. A lot of the photographs that they're making are so self-consumed that that it's them and their their friends, but not in a way that's universal. It's in a way that's very specific. It's about me and my friends, and look at me, and look at how cool I am. Um, and so my biggest challenge is getting them to to see their friends as as people instead of Larry or whatever it is in their neighborhood. Um, and just to kind of say, look, if you want to make photographs that are going to speak to more people, you have to do it in a more universal way. You have to make these human photographs. you got to make these photographs about people. This is not your mother anymore. This is Mary. And if you can do that, then I can look at the photograph and think about my mother or think about my aunt. But um, my biggest challenge has been to get them to kind of get uh, – open their circle a little bit more to think about other people uh, aside from themselves and how how people are going to look at them um but it's been great once once we get to that point they go into the communities and they make beautiful photographs that are full of content and emotion and speak to larger crowds so it's 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 been awesome how do you get them to that point because you know at that, uh, at that age they're very self-centered yeah. <laughs> uh, my first class starts really basically. We, we do the introductions. and every, You know, the first class, you, everyone says, my name is Emilio, I live in this area, and this is what I do. And I take that small kernel of information, and I say, okay, that's great. And my first assignment's really simple. I say, um, I pair them up with people that they don't know yet. And I said, um, I'm going to give you 15 minutes to make three photographs. If you're done making these photographs in, in two minutes, stay next to this person, arms reach, uh, for the next 13 minutes. When you come back, you have to introduce us to this person or to introduce this person to us and tell us something we don't know. And they go for 15 minutes and sit with these people uh, within three feet of each other, and they have to talk, and they have to slow down. And when they come back, they realize that how long 15 minutes is, first of all, and um, how much information they can get and they can give in 15 minutes. Mm. And then I send them out to, uh, that, that's the first day, and that my first day homework is uh, an assignment I call 12 people, where they have to meet 12 strangers. 
and make a photograph of them where they're three feet away from this person. They should be able to touch this person. They should be able to hear them when they speak. Uh, and then when they come back, they show this work, and they realize, wow, I've met so many people. I, I, you know, this guy's really cool. I, I can follow him over here. I can I can go over here, and I can photograph these musicians. And, and I just meet all these new people, and it's, it's kind of a, an eye-opening experience for some of them. And then the following assignment is to go photograph one person for 72 images minimum where they have to sit with one person and make photographs within a three-foot range. And I usually tell them to go and photograph their mother or their brother, someone they like, someone they respect, mm -hmm. someone they want to present to us. And it slows them down, and they see that. And uh, then from then on, we just kind of broaden the circle. But that's my first assignment is to get them really focused on one person, one individual, and someone who's in their, in their area, someone who surrounds them on a daily basis. That's fantastic. Tell me about your um, Guadalajara workshop. You just did one down in Guadalajara. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> Tell us how that came about and what, what was all involved in that particular workshop. Uh, it was amazing. It was, uh, just, it, it, was, uh, it was more than a workshop. It was an artist collaborative. It was a cultural exchange. You know, we, we're in San Francisco, and we have the immigrant rights protest, and we, have, we, see, uh, we watch TV, and we see how the immigrant issues on TV and all these different issues dealing with Mexico, but no one ever talks about the person in Mexico or a person in Mexico. It's just Mexicans or immigrants or illegals. So we, we had this idea, my wife and I had this idea to let's, let's do something. Let's take a group of artists, journalists, uh, students from San Francisco, and let's take them to Mexico and show them real Mexico and let them meet people on a one-to-one -one personal level. Um, so we did. We, we got a group of 10 photographers out here, some fine artists, some documentaries, some students, um, a couple commercial photographers. And uh, we flew out to Guadalajara, stayed at a hostel. Everybody was in, in one room, uh, all the girls in one room, all the boys in the other. And they had to meet their colleagues on a really personal level because they're living there. I introduced the workshop as a family affair. We're here for a week and we're family. And we're going to, you know, if, if this is going to be successful, you have to learn from him. He has to learn from you. You, you know, I'm going to teach you and you're going to teach me. Um, and that's exactly what it was. It was amazing. We met up with uh, nine photographers from, from Mexico and we shared the space and we're, all in this one room, and, and it was great because they suspended disbelief. All these people have established ways of working. They've already been exhibited. They've already done their own, their own projects. But for this week, they listened to me, and that was awesome. It was, it was, it was amazing for them to just kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go along with what you say for this week. Um, and again, we, we just slowed them down, and uh, we talked about nothing technical. It was just all um, me sharing my approach and how I approach people and how I approach the landscape and how I approach the detail. And um, then I would send them out every day with a different, a different topic, and they make photographs, come back in, edit all night, and present the next day. At the end of this workshop, we had a final editing session because... Part of it was also how to put these photographs together in a way that makes sense to, and to form a narrative that you want to communicate to somebody. Um, and so we, we created these visual narratives. Every, every artist had their own narrative at the end of it. Then I selected from their edits uh, photographs that would make a larger narrative. And we exhibited it over at the uh, Instituto Cultural Cabañas. It's uh, the cultural center of Jalisco. We, were, we had a museum exhibit there. Um, 
and it's just amazing this 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 true feeling of 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 openness and this um camaraderie that that developed really quickly with the Mexican photographers and the American photographers and the participants all came back with this idea like you know I I just finally got Mexico I, I they had to sit with people and some of them didn't even speak Spanish and they had to sit with these people and figure out a way to communicate with them for 20 30 an hour and then make some photographs that were sincere and quiet and real and this is a, the first time they've they've had that opportunity in a safe environment where they can just sit with someone from the country and hear their thoughts uh and i and it was an amazing experience I, I can't even say it enough it was it was better than i expected and um it was beautiful wow that's fantastic and i love the fact that you guys exhibited the work down there within the, the community itself uh, yeah, it was important for us to get it out into this community, and we also we exhibited it as one group work. It was a, a group exhibit with no bylines and minimal text. We didn't want anyone to walk over and say, oh, this is Colt Peterson's work. He is the American. That's why he did this. You can't tell who is who because everybody approached it on a really human, very quiet level. So it's not like they're looking for the, the yellow wall with the uh, Mexican peasant walking through. or You know, they're not doing that. The, People were not a visual uh, element in their compositions. People were people, and, they, and that's what they presented. Uh, we have a show in San Francisco. Uh, we're bringing this show to California. It's important to bring it out here, too, to show this community what Mexico is really about and um, to show the Mexicans here that, that there are some people who can, who can see their country. So we have a show scheduled here in, uh, in mid-August, and uh, we'll, we'll try to get it other places, too. Um. Well, one of the challenges of being a documentary photographer is just just in, ter- just in terms of making a living, because mm-hmm. um, you don't make a whole lot of money from it, unfortunately. No. <laughs> um, so you, I see that you balance it out by doing a, a good amount of teaching, but uh, in terms of just scheduling projects and, and deciding you know what you're going to end up committing yourself to for a period of time, you know there are a lot of logistics involved, particularly if you're mm-hmm. going to be doing something that's not. Uh, immediately accessible. How do you how do you come to decide what what stories you're really going to sort of commit to over the long term, and and what do you have to work out in terms of money and time in order to make that happen? Mm. Well, you know, when I was in school, I had this luxury of having being a student, and uh, you have you know I was living in Missouri where you have cheap rent and and you have time uh, and you have dark rooms and you have a community of photographers who are around you who are who are making work that's that's interesting and inspiring. And then you leave that environment and you realize that you have to go to work and you have to pay rent and do all this other stuff. Um, so my work has changed. Uh, I carry my camera every day and I make photographs every day. And I just start to... Originally, I was working on, on one single story. I did a, a long project in Mexico when I was there for a year on uh, the public uh, exhi- exhibition of faith, uh, faith on the street, Catholic faith. And then, uh, and I also follow around some rodeo cowboys in Missouri and in Mexico, and and I would work with one theme and one family and one group, and I would be able to to be there for a long period of time. Um, and now I I don't I can't do that anymore. So I make work as I walk through the streets, and I make work as I see it, and then I I edit it, uh, I compile it into a different narratives, and the topics are a little bit different now. If you look at the work Safest Big City in America, that's San Jose. That's years of just walking down the street and seeing people and going to different events and being, you know, 
at a restaurant and, and seeing this little boy walk up into the street and recognizing this little boy and making a photograph of him. I, like I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with the photographs, but eventually they start to feel like some of the other photographs, and I put them in, a, in, in this narrative. So I don't work as focused as I used to. Uh, now I'm, I'm a little bit here everywhere, and, I, and I'm working with different themes. I'm not working with a topic like uh, I did a, a long project in Mexico, in uh, Missouri, where I was photographing a pastor and his seven-year-old daughter, and I spent over a year with them going to house visits and going to church and going to work with them. I don't have that luxury anymore, so I have to do my work a little bit differently. And that's kind of how I dealt with it. I just kind of, like I said, I just keep making work, and it's all documentary because it's all real and it's all happening, and then I put it together differently now. Wow. So that's how I've had to adjust for that. Uh, and then I, uh, since I'm teaching, um, I take off on these projects and I go out to, uh, I'll be in Mexico again in September for another workshop, but while I'm out there, I'll be photographing the uh, Mexican Independence Day, uh, which is which is a beautiful, <laughs> it's a great event. Uh, and then I'll be, uh, I'm scheduling another trip uh, in in the summer when I have some time off. And we just came back from Mexico. So now that I, I'm teaching, I have these breaks that I work around and plan for. That's great. Well, the the way I always end the show is by asking a, a one photographer to recommend the work of another. Um, mm. And it can be uh, anyone. But who would that be for you and why? Who would that be for me? Uh, you know, I love Danny Lyon's work. Uh, I love Danny Lyon's work because he was one of the first people that I that I started looking at. Uh, because he photographed people he was surrounded by, because he photographed uh, on his own dime, on his own interest, without backing, because today he continues to do the same thing. Uh, so I, I love I love his spirit and his images. And uh, the book is uh, Bike Riders by Danny Lyon. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a classic. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. And those are also a lot of things that are happening in that book are just really quiet things, people hanging out and just kind of being themselves. And he gives them, uh, if you look on his website, Bleak Beauty, it gives them, he gives them a voice. He has sound. He has their words talking. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, for people whose work, who are not familiar with Danny Lyon's work, they're, they're missing out, and hopefully they'll, they'll uh, check it out soon. But, Emilio, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for joining me. If you have any comments or suggestions about the show, please email me at thecandidframe.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Until next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com